Thanks for listening to the Thyroid Fixer Podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Amy Horneman, aka the Thyroid Fixer, functional medicine practitioner, functional nutritionist, thyroid, and weight loss expert. We're talking all things thyroid, hormone, and health-related in order to empower, educate, and transform you. So if you're ready to get your life back, finally, then let's get started. Are you finally at your wit's end where you are tired of dealing with doctor after doctor? Maybe you've spent thousands on integrative or functional practitioners that have not helped you at all because they don't know the thyroid and hormones. They're not even testing properly. So come work with myself and my team. We prescribe to all 50 states and parts of Canada. I have you covered. I've been building this team for years so that I could help you no matter where you are. All you have to do is click the link in the show notes, book a free application call. We're going to go over your current health situation, what worked, what hasn't worked, all the things. And then we will pair you up with the right program for you where we will do it all. You will come out the other side of the program, totally optimized, getting your life back. You're going to recognize the person you see in the mirror again. Doesn't that sound absolutely amazing? Well, it might sound... Like you don't even believe it, but I promise you, I promise you, we will take good care of you. So click the link in the show notes, book a call today, and we'll be talking to you soon. Today, I have a very, very special guest. He was he was kind enough to come on and bless me with his presence, Dr. Tim Jackson. So let me give you the official bio read, and then we're just going to get in and talk just like we're old friends. You will You will just absolutely love hearing from him. So just stay tuned. I promise you, this is going to be a good one. All right, Tim. So Dr. Tim Jackson is a doctor of physical therapy and orthopedic rehabilitation and a functional medicine provider. He holds a BS degree in health science and chemistry from Wake Forest University. He serves clients in over 15 countries through his telehealth practice at healyourbody.org. And we will definitely put that in the show notes for all of you to check out and has helped thousands over the last eight years. Dr. Jackson is the creator of the Heal Your Hormones Bootcamp for neurosurgeon Dr. Jack Krause's membership community and has contributed to the book Diagnostic Testing and Functional Medicine by Amir Rosek. That's a good one too, by the way. He has been featured in the Huffington Post, the Bulletproof Executive and Ben Greenfield Fitness Podcast, which is one of my favorite, on multiple health and medical summits and in two health documentaries. Damn, Tim's done a lot. Okay, he serves on the medical advisory board for greensmoothiegirl.com, a site with several million annual visitors. And for your second half, a foundation that helps athletes with their career transitions. Dr. Jackson is available to comment on various functional medicine and wellness-related topics, such as digestive health, energy and fatigue, autoimmune disorders, and mold toxicity that we're talking about today. So welcome, Dr. Tim. Thank you for coming on. I appreciate it so much. Wow. Thanks for that introduction, Dr. Amy. I almost sound legitimate. (laughs) See, I told you guys, you just love them. So I don't even know where to start. You know, we talk all things thyroid on this podcast. And like I was talking to you earlier, a friend of mine had to have her entire house renovated. So I really want to dive into mold toxicity today and thyroid. But let's first talk about you. Tell me your story. How did you even get into this whole functional world from the chiropractic world? Yeah, so I started out or did my undergraduate degree at Wake Forest University, did all the pre-med requirements, did great. But during the winter break of my senior year, I had a 
what I know now to be an unnecessary jaw surgery that uh, put me under anesthesia for over eight hours, almost eight and a half hours. Okay. And I ended up with 26 titanium screws and six titanium plates in my upper and lower jaw. And uh, that, you know, made me really sit to say the least. And some underlying things that I had that were kind of subclinical and because I was healthy and eating healthy and working out, they weren't an issue um, or I didn't even know about them. But then, you know, this major stress over surgery sort of allowed them to go from subclinical to clinical. And so instead of entering medical school that fall, an MD program, I decided to wait. And uh, the more doctors I talked to, they said, you know, you don't get a you need to be an MD. And it's probably best if you don't become one because you're not going to get any of the nutrition and exercise and functional medicine related stuff. Just get a ticket to play the game. So I got my doctorate in physical rehabilitation and uh, I started out treating athletes, um, weekend warriors, professional athletes, collegiate athletes, high school athletes. Uh, but I found a lot of them had imbalances that I couldn't fix with my hands. Mm -hmm. And so a lot of their external symptoms were manifesting from internal imbalances. Mm -hmm. Yep. That's interesting. And, yeah. And so I've been doing functional medicine ever since, really. So what did you find most of them had? Was it was it coming back to heavy metals, gut, mold? What, what, what did the majority, if you can answer that even? Yeah, they probably had all of those things you just listed. But for example, frozen shoulder uh, is tied to subclinical hypothyroidism. Yep. And so, you know, that capsule, the joint capsule gets kind of wound down and tightened down. And different chronic infections, for example, people with bilateral knee pain typically have mycoplasma antigen antibody complexes in their knee joint. And so you can do all the active release technique, laser, et cetera, but that's not going to help it. And so, you know, I found uh, there were a lot of people doing orthopedics, not many people, at least at that time, doing functional medicine. And, you know, the feedback I got was that I was really good at it. So I decided to stick with it. Nice. Well, I'm so happy that you said that about frozen shoulder because that's one of the, I have a lab and symptom checklist. That's one of the symptoms I put on there. And it's a surprising one because most people think, oh, you know, it's a sport injury or overuse or they're just getting old or whatever. But you're right. It can be a, a symptom of subclinical hypothyroidism or undiagnosed hypothyroidism. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. And so, you know, I switched over into doing all functional medicine and uh, I haven't looked back. Nice. Well, we thank you for being in the functional medicine space and not the conventional space. So <laughs> thank you. Thank you. So before we dive into mold, I just want to keep on that, that whole joint thing yeah. and just bring this up and hope to God that we don't get, you know, taken down. So we'll, we'll use some like secret terminology that people will know what I'm talking about. I had a, a, a patient call today. Um, she's actually going to trade her appointment for her dad because he's really, really suffering. He has no T3 and T4. I mean, just in the basement with both thyroid hormones and after he got a certain shot that is, is out right now that is supposed to protect us from a certain said virus, he went from like a pain level of like a two or three in his joints to like an eight. And now he's on methotrexate and is in crazy severe pain. Have you been seeing this connection at all in your practice? 
Yeah, I have uh, with those types of shots in general, you know, because the cytokine storm that's created, you know, the interleukin-6, TNF-alpha, interleukin-1 beta, those are the primary inflammatory ones. And they, you know, create havoc throughout the body. And the thyroid, as you know, is very sensitive to oxidative stress. And so cytokine storm is just a form of oxidative stress, basically. And these shots, you know, they can create inflammation and symptoms uh, in the brain, really any system in the body, whichever system is the most weakened or the most facilitated, that's where the symptoms will arise. That's interesting. Yeah, I wanted to ask your opinion on that. So before we got into today's topic. Okay, so mold. People are like chomping at the bit for this topic. Mold and the thyroid. Just start somewhere. I'm just going to hand it over to you. Go. Yeah. So, I mean, mold is really uh, much more prevalent than people think. A lot of people believe that they have to have a major hurricane or their roof is completely blown off in order to have mold exposure or their house has to be 150 years old. But that's simply not true anymore. And the way they build houses today, you and I have been discussing this before we went on air, uh, you know, they throw up the framework and then they may not come back um, for a while. And mm-hmm. so, you know, that leaves the uh, framework and all the other uh, parts of the home exposed to the elements. And the important thing for people to remember is that mold behaves differently indoors than it does outdoors. And so a lot of times I'll get people asking me, oh, well, Dr. Tim, I went to the Amazon and I was fine. And that's because you have, just like in the gut, you have checks and balances. So you have a system that keeps one species from growing and proliferating uh, too much or to an excessive degree. Mm-hmm. And so basically... The um, with the mold and when it gets indoors, when you have just one or two species and you're exposed to EMFs, you know, from Wi-Fi, 5G, et cetera, then that's going to cause mold to behave differently. And Dr. Dietrich Klinghardt has shown that mycotoxins or mold will produce 600 times more mycotoxins when exposed to non-native EMF fields. Oh, I did not know that. That's interesting. Okay. Yeah. And we have EMF all through our house. I mean. Yeah, exactly. You know, mold is an issue anyways, but in terms of relating it to the thyroid, one thing that predisposes you to being affected by mold is decreased body temperature. So even if you're, it can be cellular hypothyroidism, right? Where the T3 is not getting into the cell. And so that's going to make you more predisposed to mold toxicity. Because a thyroid hormone, there's two ways to change the function of a protein, change the shape or change the temperature. And so you change the temperature when your body temperature goes down. And that's independent of your thyroid labs, like free T3, reverse T3, thyroid antibodies being normal. And so uh, conversely, though, you can have optimized thyroid and then you get exposed to mold and you start developing hypothyroid symptoms. Because the inflammation that's created all throughout the body, uh, mold and mycotoxins specifically block a pathway called NRF2. And that's how we produce our antioxidants. That's how we detoxify. And glutathione is very important for protecting the thyroid gland and the thyrocytes. 
when it's not getting produced, the thyroid cells get damaged more easily. Oh, wait, stop there for a second, just so we can clarify and help the listeners understand everything. So with, with thyroid, you have a lower body temperature because you're hypo, you're in that deep, like everything is slowed down in the body state. Mm -hmm. So that low body temperature is going to make you more sensitive to mold toxicity or vice versa. Well, so it can happen either way. You can start with an optimized thyroid and then you get exposed to mold and it lowers the thyroid. Okay. You can, um, or it can happen the other way. You know, it's going to cause weight gain, decrease ability to detoxify. Mm -hmm. And I don't know if it's a direct or indirect connection with the low body temperature, making you more predisposed to mold, but you know, obviously all your biochemical reactions are slowing down when your body temperature drops. So you're not getting rid of the mycotoxins and they're bioaccumulating in the adipose tissue. And not only that, they cause your body to produce more fat cells. And so I'll, I'll tell people, you know, a figure competitor, I know you have experience with that. I worked yep. with years ago in North Carolina, you know, she was extremely regimented and she gained 15 pounds in two, two and a half weeks. And her house was only three years old, but uh, she had had a leak in her roof and her mycotoxin levels were through the roof and her eyes were bloodshot. And after about three weeks, she was back to her normal weight. Wow. That's crazy. Okay. That gives you some food for thought because as a thyroid patient, you're already gaining weight or you can't lose weight if you're not optimized. So then to have that on top of it and you're building up Mm -hmm. mycotoxins in your fat and then you're getting more fat buildup. And then, well, we know that estrogen is stored in the fat too. So now you're estrogen dominant because you have more fat, just a vicious cycle. Vision. Yeah. And the speaking of hormones, you know, I've had guys where their testosterone, their total testosterone is a thousand, which, you know, you think they're going to feel like Superman, mm-hmm. but when you have inflammation, that aromatase enzyme is going to convert more testosterone to estrogen. So then you're going to become more estrogen dominant, which stresses mm-hmm. the adrenal hypothalamus pituitary adrenal thyroid axis. So mm-hmm. it's, just, it's just a vicious cycle. Crazy. And I always tout the importance of testosterone for men and women. And then half the time for the guys, they're not testing their estrogen level because just like doctors forget that women have testosterone, doctors forget that men have estrogen. And Mm -hmm. so they don't get their estrogen levels tested. So like you said, they could have a thousand and oh yeah, you're good. But nobody's looking at their estrogen level walking around at like 500. So right. Or sex hormone, body globulin, et cetera. Mm-hmm. Exactly. But, Sorry, we sidetracked uh, there, but yeah. Uh, but you know, back to uh, people being exposed. You know, you don't have to have visible mold, or you usually won't be able to smell it. Now, there's many t- different types of mold. Obviously, black mold very dangerous. You can see that and usually smell it. Mm-hmm. But uh, for example, Aspergillus, which affects uh, the immune system and the respiratory tract mainly, uh, that you can't see or smell. And, you know, I've had patients who are millionaires and they get offended when I suggest that they have mold, but it has nothing to do with how clean your house is. Uh, It's more about the structural integrity, uh, the outdoor environment, the circulation of air. And that's another uh, point I wanted to make is that, you know, we've created energy efficient homes, but it's come at a cost. And that cost is indoor air quality. Mm -hmm. Okay. 
Yeah, because you and I were talking before this about how they're manufacturing homes now. I guess just in PA, or maybe there's some other companies. There might be some other. I'm sure there are other companies now. This was like two years ago when uh, I looked into it. But yeah, they're creating them, you know, in a very controlled environment. And then they're shipping them to the location and doing all the construction within one to two days. Uh, and not only that, even if you just go to Home Depot or Lowe's, there are certain brands of materials that are created to be less conducive to mold growth. That's cool. So at least there's hope, right? Yeah. So even exactly. if you have, whether you have an old home or a new home, there's still hope. Right. Yeah. So how do you test your patients then? So I do a urine mycotoxin test, but it needs to be provoked. So you can provoke it with an infrared sauna session, a biomat session, liposomal glutathione, a glutathione push, all of those, and then collect the urine sample 45 minutes later, uh, 45 minutes to an hour later. Uh, Great Plains Laboratory has one, Vibrant America has one, and they test for anywhere between 11 to 30 different types of mycotox. And so when you get them back, you know, let's say your results say that aspergillus is high, stachybotrys is high. We can't say, you know, 20% came from your current home, 10% came from your undergrad. You know, we just know that that's your current body burden. And so we definitely want to follow up Um, by testing the home to rule that out. Because, you know, if we try to detoxify you and you're still being exposed, you're just going to be treading water. But like behind me, I don't think you can hear it. The air doctor, which is an ultra HEPA plus carbon filter, and it filters volatile organic compounds, mycotoxins, viruses, bacteria. It filters down to a very, very uh, small size. After you get the urine mycotoxin test back, Let's say that your home, you know, has a certain area that needs to be remediated, then uh, you can have that done. And then you uh, detoxify your body by using binders and supplements to support the pathways that have been blocked. And when mold, when someone has mold toxicity, uh, it kind of blocks any other therapies from working. So, you know, if you get someone, they just don't respond to any supplements, any medications, any IVs, any biohacking equipment, then there's a good chance that mold is an issue. See, that's interesting. I just uh, recorded a podcast that'll be released this week, just a mini one of uh, thyroid hormone resistance. So whenever we have someone, and I've seen patients like this, that they can't even tolerate 2.5 micrograms of T3. They get the sweats, they're jittery, their heart's racing. And, you know, we're looking at them going, that's enough for your pinky. What do you mean it's making you jittery? And usually that's a resistance to the thyroid hormone. And we have to look at all those underlying factors like your gut and cortisol. But now hearing you, mold could be a big one. Yeah, definitely. And, you know, anything that creates inflammation Mm -hmm. in the body, as you know, is going to activate the stress response. And eventually, you know, initially it'll cause high cortisol, but then it'll cause low cortisol and you need cortisol to escort thyroid hormone into the cell. Mm -hmm. So I'm sure you've talked about that ad nauseum before, but, you know, not all cortisol is bad. Right. Well, I think I'm glad you brought that up because I think that is the 
general belief system, especially in the thyroid community, that we want we want low cortisol. We want to you know decrease that cortisol, decrease the cortisol. Cortisol makes you fat. It, it, it interferes with T4 to T3 conversion. But we forget that we need some. And that's why some thyroid patients are on hydrocortisone or we have to use like a, a glandular supports for the adrenals because they're just flatlined. Yeah. And I mean, just to put it in perspective, if we drained your body of all cortisol, you would die within 30 to 40 minutes. If we drained you of all estrogen and testosterone, you wouldn't feel well, but you're not going to die anytime soon. Mm -hmm. So, you know, cortisol is a hormone. That's why adrenal insufficiency or Addison's uh, and Cushing's are such huge issues. But there, you know, you have those two ends of the spectrum, but then there's everyone else in the middle. And those right. are the people you and I work. Right. Right. When they when they when they're getting no answers from conventional medicine, they're like, please help me. Please right. Help exactly. Me. So I want to ask you a question before you move on. So I don't forget. So it's interesting that you said that they that you use liposomal glutathione as a, a provoking agent to test. So when someone takes because I, I love liposomal glutathione. Mm -hmm. So when someone takes that and feels worse, could that be because they're actually kicking up the mycotide? They're like actually making them move in their body? Yeah. So in general, with any form of glutathione, whether it's an IV push or liposomal or transdermal, people either start feeling good and stay that way or they have a honeymoon period and then they crash or they just feel terrible altogether and they never feel better. I mean, not never, never, but you know what I mean? That can typically mean that their phase one and phase two and even phase three detox pathways have been shut down and uh, you know they're not able to detoxify the things that have been provoked by glutathione. And that one of those could be mycotoxins for sure. Interesting. Interesting. Because I know like you want to stay away from it if you have amalgam fillings, because that can push the mercury so we could get into heavy metals, but we can go down all kinds of paths, all kinds of rabbit holes, Tim, all kinds of rabbit holes. But uh, yeah, that's no, that's interesting because I think a, a lot of people, and I know my patients in the past have tried it because you hear it's a potent antioxidant. You hear it's great for the liver. You know, I'll mm -hmm. use a, a liver support along with glutathione if someone has elevated liver enzymes. So it's interesting that if they feel worse, that could be a factor. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. So I want to ask you what, so when you see people, and I, I talk about this a lot, and we have, we're going to kind of bounce back and forth between multiple topics. Sure. Um, because we have a lot of questions too coming in. So when you see thyroid patients, what is the biggest mistake you see people with thyroid issues making in regards to their care? Is it not getting tested? Is it not looking at all the factors? What are you seeing? Well, what I see mostly is that people, even if their provider is aware of the appropriate thyroid markers, you know, they might even test reverse T3, free T3, and the thyroid antibodies. If they don't test anything else, and they think that, okay, thyroid's low because thyroid's low uh, and, you know, just give you more and more thyroid. Uh, that's the problem I see. And, you know, 60% of T4 is converted to T3 in the liver, 20% is converted in the gut. And so if the liver, gut, gallbladder axis is off, then that's going to dramatically affect your thyroid. 
Another thing to point out is that when people have stealth pathogens, viruses, bacteria, mold, et cetera, that makes the blood hyperviscous. So it's extra thick and nutrients uh, and hormones and uh, vitamins, minerals, et cetera, can't get into the cells like they should. And so you have to address the coagulopathy if you want to use the fancy term. And that's where things like systemic enzymes come in. And Kent Holtarf talks about this a lot, and, you know, going by body temperature and not uh, just T3 levels because, you know, everyone's afraid that they're going to give you a heart attack if you take too much T3. Yeah. But if, if you have too little cortisol and you're on a lot of T3, then that could happen, but it's unlikely. And so, you know, getting the cortisol level up and balancing the T3, sometimes, you know, addressing the mold, the thyroid will come back online uh, because one thing mold does is it beats up the pituitary gland. I mean, it's like a jab, jab, right hook oh. to the pituitary. Okay. And so you got to do a little massaging, not literally because you'd have to cut your brain open, but you, you yeah, know what I mean. Yeah. Well, no, it's funny that you use that analogy because so we can double this up. I always say antibodies are like little soldiers. And if you have Hashimoto's, you have those little soldiers that are going out and beating the hell out of your thyroid. So if you have little soldiers beating the hell out of your thyroid and you have mold beating the hell out of the pituitary, you're screwed. Like, like what are you going to do? You're not going to feel good at all. Right. Exactly. Right. I, I see that happening a lot. I see the other thing I see is that people will address their sex hormones prior to addressing thyroid. Oh, and, yeah. you know, if glucose, insulin, cortisol and thyroid aren't balanced first, you know, it's like menisol's hierarchy of needs. You know, you have to address things in a certain order. Mm -hmm. And so I, I see that a lot, you know, and then people uh, won't uh, receive the benefits that they think they're going to receive you know, from thyroid hormone, exogenous supplementation. But uh, the other thing is just uh, general detoxification. Getting There's so many endocrine disrupting chemicals in our environment, and then they end up in our lymphatic system and mm -hmm. our adipose tissue. And so just getting some of those out, I mean, you need to get them out anyways. So getting them out may improve your thyroid function. So how would you, you're so, you're so right. I mean, just the estrogenic compounds that we're exposed to on a daily basis is insane, which is why I always test estrogen levels on everyone. But how do you go about like, so a person comes to you and obviously you test their thyroid. Now you're looking at hormones like the sex hormones, cortisol, adrenal, insulin, insulin resistance is a big one. And it, kind of what are your steps in seeing if they have a, a burden on their system, like chemicals or like mold? I mean, I know we talked about mold testing, but what else will you do in those next steps? So a lot of times I start out with an organic acids test, mm -hmm. uh, especially the one from Great Plains, because it doesn't test for all types of mycotoxins, but there are five, maybe six markers on there that can indicate the presence of mold and, you know, an organic acid test is going to give you a window into gut health, neurotransmitters, uh, vitamin status, glutathione levels, oxalate levels, um, amino acids. And so I think that's a great place to start to get an idea. And then if people want to do like after we do some treatment, uh, if they want to do a provoked uh, urine mycotoxin test, we can certainly do that. Mm -hmm. But 
it's important to know a lot of people want to just take probiotics and fix their gut. But your gut, all the way back in 2012, I wrote an article on how mold jacks up your gut. And if you want to get really scientific, it decreases a hormone called alpha MSH. And alpha MSH, people know it if, even if they don't know the name because it makes you tan. So people love it, especially yeah. women. But uh, they actually used to give it to women in a shot for PMS. But it was fixing too many things, too many other seemingly unrelated issues. And so they banned it. Um <laughs> course but that's yeah of course uh, so kind of like the peptides right but um you know if you can uh get the the mycotoxins down and get alpha msh back up um because alpha msh is a neuroregulatory peptide and it's produced in the anterior pituitary and it controls cytokine levels inflammation uh sleep brain health sex drive that's why the peptide melanotan right. two. That's what I was going to ask you about. Yeah, yeah, works on sex drive. Yep, yep. So, so would melanotan? I was going to ask you about the peptides. So, would melanotan two be? I mean, it's kind of classified as an anti-aging peptide, right? Because it it does exactly what you say. It works on so many different levels, helping so many different systems, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, when I took it, I got. Really, really tan, like abnormally tan. Okay. Kind of looked like I was on Jersey Shore or something. Um, <laughs> yeah. But so I had to back off on the dose. But uh, yeah, it definitely helps. It's uh, the closest thing we have to actual alpha MSH, at okay. least that I'm aware of. In terms of the order of addressing things, yeah, mold, you got to get that out first. Then you can work on fixing the gut, then bringing down the systemic pathogen load because. One thing that all mycotoxins have in common is that they're immunosuppressive. When you suppress the immune system, candida, viruses, mycoplasma, Lyme, they all just go through the roof. Right. And that's where we'll see the the, the chronic Lyme symptoms, the, the right. joint pain, the aches, the leg pain, the inflammation left and right. Epstein-Barr mm -hmm. virus will flare into an active state. Yeah. yeah. That makes sense. Exactly. I like how you're tying all this together. This is good. <laughs> so, okay. GI map. What are your thoughts on gut testing? I, I've been using the GI map more on patients. I think it's kind of cool uh, and the amount of things that it, it tells us. So what are your thoughts on that? Do you ever throw that in the mix? Yeah, the GI map, I do that. You know, that's the stool test of choice for me at yep. the moment. I've been using it for several years. You know, you get an idea on there of, you know, where you need to focus your energies. And I'll give you an example. My friend who owns a bunch of pain management clinics, his wife was going to a hormone clinic here locally. And that's all they do is sex hormones. Like you come in and, it, oh, if you want to test thyroid, oh, well, that's a different program. I'm like, that doesn't make any sense. Right. But her beta glucuronidase was off the charts. So she couldn't detoxify anything, especially estrogen. Yep. And that was slowing down her thyroid. The GI map I love because you can also look at secretory IgA. Yeah. You know, if secretory IgA is low, then you know that there's HPA um, or adrenal dysfunction and there's a lot of stress in the body. I haven't heard a single person besides myself, maybe one other doctor, mention secretory IgA during this whole, you know, fiasco that's going on because that's what lines your mucous membranes 
and prevents any sort of microbe from getting in your body. Mm-hmm. Mine was low. Mine was in yeah. the toilet. Yeah. That's because of all those deadlifts. It, it's all the dead. You wanted to talk about deadlifts today. You had to sneak that in somewhere, somehow. Mm-hmm. So here we are. Yeah. We're, we're there on we deck. go. Here we go. It could be from all the deadlifts. It could be <laughs> from just running a business <laughs> and not getting enough sleep. Could be from having to deal with me. <laughs> and that too. We're going to put that in the mix. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. Do you want to talk about deadlifts? Like for real? Uh, yeah. So, I mean, from the orthopedist in me, you know, people will call it the deadlift, but it really should be called the health lift, right? It's that hip hinging motion. You know, if, if you're out, if you're listening to this and you stretch your hamstrings, please stop because your hamstrings being tight are a sign of posterior chain dysfunction. Posterior chain is just your glutes, so your ass, your hamstrings, and your lumbar erector muscles. And most people, because we sit so much, their glutes are turned off neurologically, and their hamstrings are trying to stabilize their pelvis somehow. But in order to uh, get the glutes activated, you have to stretch the hip flexors, activate the glutes, and you can do that through things like hip thrust, single leg bridges, and then do your major lifts like deadlifts. But, you know, people have heard of the rotator cuff, but the glutes are part of the hip cuff. So they serve the same purpose. They suck the head of the femur right up into the acetabulum. I tell people just pick up heavy shit and put heavy shit down. That's good. I like that. Keeps it simple. Keeps it really simple. And when people say, oh, well, that, you know, that you're going to hurt your back. I'm like, no, if you don't learn to do it, you're going to hurt your back. So I always say that God let me power lift for three years. So I, I love deadlift was my best because I have long arms. So and I can do the the sumo. So I set a record in deadlift, loved it, loved it. And then, well, I don't know if I never told you this. So I have scoliosis. I had surgery done. This was before. This is Erie PA. We did not know about chiropractic back in 1985. So yeah, I thought you were born in 1991. Oh, that's right. All right. So uh, in 2001, we didn't know about, about chiropractic in Erie. So I had the surgery done. Well, they put the rods in. They took the rods out. Now I'm fused. So I was I was a powerhouse for powerlifting for three years. And then all of a sudden the deadlift would kill me. So I went from 309. Now I'm like 85, 95 pounds. It crushes my ego every time I do it. But if I go higher than that, it hurts. So what can I do to increase my deadlift? One thing you can do is single leg deadlifts. You know, that is a way to get the same motion and work on balance. And it gets a uh, glute medius and glute max. You want to do it with whatever leg you're standing on, uh, 20 degrees of knee flexion, because that's what uh, maximally activates the glutes. So working on those, and then you said they took the rods out? Yeah. Yeah, And then they took a piece of my head infused. You said that they kill you in your upper back? Lower back. Like I get sciatic pinch if I go. Oh, okay. So what's happening is you're getting a closing down pattern of the facet joints and the lumbar spine. And so usually along with that, when I talked about people with tight hamstrings, usually so tight hamstrings, glutes turned off, then tight spinal erector muscles. And because the muscles of the spine are vertically oriented and muscles can only contract when they contract and they're hypertonic, they're closing down the facet joints, which is where the nerve roots exit. 
And so doing some soft tissue release, you know, self myofascial release mm-hmm. with a lacrosse ball, yep. um, a tennis ball might be too aggressive in the beginning, you know, lay supine with your feet flat, mm-hmm. rolling side to side. Don't yep. go across the spine, just try to go up and down. So that will release. And then you can do some corrective exercise to activate the glutes and then go to try the deadlift. Okay. So actually do that in one session. Do the, I like the rumble roller too. So like do something like that, loosen it, corrective exercises, then deadlift. Right. Okay. Exactly. I like this. This is kind of like a Ben Greenfield episode. We're just talking about everything. So it'll be like mold, thyroid, hormones, deadlifting, and your spine. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Pretty much everything except your teeth, but we can talk about that. Nah, we'll save that for another time. We'll bring it back okay. on. Yeah. So I have a ton of questions coming in that I want to read off to you, have you answer. We'll just leave these in the podcast because I think the, the questions are great and it's going to be great to hear your take on a lot of them. Let's see. A lot of people are saying interesting about frozen shoulder and we moved into a house that wasn't supposed to have mold. It's awful and I can't get my thyroid regulated. So what would you say if, what would you say to a person? I mean, what are you going to do if you just moved? You can't move again, right? Is there a proper eradication process? So there is, it can get expensive and you have to kind of do your homework on companies. So you want a company that can use a camera to look behind your walls for areas of increased condensation because it's very easy for, uh, and, and it depends on the state. Um, a lot of states, the company who tests your house, they're not allowed to do the remediation. But in many states, it's legal for that to happen. So they'll just come in and they'll be like, oh, yeah, Amy, we need to tear down your whole house. You know, they're going to charge you $80,000. But if you can isolate it and say, okay, this area is good, this area is good, oh, that area over there, we need to inspect that further. And so then you can get the mold from behind the walls. You need to get your HVAC system and ductwork cleaned at least once, preferably twice per year. And then running a high-end air filter, which I recommend the Air Doctor because uh, it's the uh, one of the least expensive and most efficient. It has the best feedback. And uh, I know doctors who only treat mold and they recommend it. The other thing is, even once you have mold remediated, you want to make sure the proper structural changes have been made. So if your land that you live on, if it's sloped uh, at a certain degree that allows water to accumulate or snow in your case to accumulate on uh, underneath your house and there's not a lot of sun for evaporation, then you want to fix that issue. And you want to always make sure that your indoor humidity never exceeds 50%. Oh, see, that's interesting because us ladies like extra humidity for our skin. Uh, you asked well, how I see it looking 25. Uh, yeah, exactly. So maybe we should just get mold in all of our houses. That's what, <laughs> I'll, I'll go grow some mold after this. And if I yeah, die, it's your fault. Okay. So below, would you say humidity below what? 50? 50%. Okay, yeah. so I can still keep it at like 35, 40 to get some moisture, and that's a good... Yeah, you yeah. can still glisten at 35 to 40%. Okay, I'm down with that. I can do that. Okay, does mold protect itself with biofilm? Uh, yeah, in many cases it does. 
So when you take, or so I mentioned binders and detoxifying the mold, a lot of times it's helpful to take a systemic antifungal. It doesn't have to be a prescription. It can be a nutraceutical, but if it is prescription, yeah, you can certainly use biofilm busters with it. Now, uh, when you break open biofilm, so independent of any antimicrobials, you're going to kill a bunch of stuff because your immune cells can get to it now. Whereas before, it, you know, it's kind of like if you have four bodyguards in front of you and I try to right hook you, you know, they're going to block it. But if they're gone, boom, I'm going to take your head off, right? That's the biofilm analogy. But yeah, addressing biofilm. But the key to remember is that the good bacteria in your gut also live under biofilm. Right. That's why I like the GI map because it breaks down the good and bad bacteria, what you're high in, what you're low in. Mm-hmm. Yeah, exactly. Yep. Right. That's a great question. Um, so this one, I think I know the answer to, but I'm still going to let you answer it. Are T3 meds bad for mold patients? No, you know, I think if you're dealing with mold and you've been exposed to a lot of it and you're very sensitive and I want to take just a second to differentiate. So there's mold toxicity and there's mold allergies. You can have both, but usually people have one or the other. And so what we've been talking about is mold toxicity. Now, a mold allergy is an IgE anaphylactic type uh, allergic reaction to mold. Mm -hmm. And so, um, you know, you always want to kind of keep those two separated. But as long as you're addressing the mold, um, if you need to be on T3 in the short term to function, because like we still have to keep living our lives, then I think that's fine. Um, assuming again that, you know, cortisol levels are regulated and the thing you want to check is common for mold to lead to very elevated TPO antibodies and antithyroglobulin antibodies. Mm -hmm. So if those are high and you take T3, it's not really going to address the problem. That's more something for low dose naltrexone type stuff. Oh yeah. I like LDN. It's good stuff. Yeah. So Mm -hmm. if someone has high antibodies, they're taking, let's say we have them on armor, T4, T3 synthetic combo, and they're still not getting better. And they test positive for either mold toxicity or mold allergy, use LDN to bring down the inflammation, bring down the antibodies, and that will actually improve the thyroid function. Well, and how the body is using the, the thyroid hormone replacement therapy that we're giving it, right? Yeah, so the LEN uh, and similar uh, substances modulate Th1, Th2, Th17. It'll help calm down the antibody attack on your thyroid, but you still want to get the mycotoxins out because, mm-hmm. you know, they can cause harm literally in every system of the body. And one just interesting fact um, to put it in perspective, if you look at CT scans of patients with MS and patients with mold toxicity, and I block out the name, you can't tell the difference. Can't tell the difference. Oh, that's huge. That's a big one. All right. Thanks for sharing that one. Yeah. Because if anyone knows MS. Yeah. Let me drop the mic. Yeah. Mic drop. I mean, lesions upon lesions on the brain and spinal cord of MS patients. So you actually see that in mold toxicity. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And it's been, you know, Dr. Shoemaker started talking about that back in 2009 um, and that's why uh, I have a colleague in Virginia. She's a DO and she's trained in the Bredesen Alzheimer's protocol mm-hmm. and in mold toxicity. And yep. someone referred her a patient and who had been diagnosed with Alzheimer's. 
And she said something just didn't feel right. So she worked her up for mold. Turns out it was mold toxicity. Patient no longer has a diagnosis of Alzheimer's. Oh my gosh. Okay. That's going to lead to a question of mine. If two people are in a house with mold, will one respond and one won't, or will they both respond to some degree? So I've worked with, I tend to work with families. I usually start out with one member and then they just kind of toss me around, um, so to speak, but um, people can react differently. So let's say there's a husband and wife and two kids. The wife may be very reactive, the husband moderately reactive, and the kids may not be affected at all. But part of that has to do with something called the HLA, human leukocyte antigen mm-hmm. um, genotype. I don't test for that anymore. Uh, I have it. Dave Asprey has it. It's called the dreaded genotype. Mm-hmm. 25% of the population has it. You can still detox mold in those people. And what I found is that it was just stressing people out because, you know, it's that neuro-linguistic programming. Yeah. And it was affecting their physiology from a stress perspective. So I just got rid of it. Okay. Interesting. So that that's easily going to lead into this next question of, let's say you, you don't see mold in your house, you can't find it, but testing is saying that you have mycotoxins. So what is the treatment? I mean, do you do treatment on the body that can help or do you bring somebody in to test your house? I would think you got to test it even if you can't see it, right? Yeah. So you can't go by sight or smells. I'll give you my parents as an example. Mm -hmm. They're very type A about the cleanliness of your house. I mean, if I put down a glass of water and I go to the bathroom, when I come back, it'll be gone because (laughs) they think that's just like a crime against humanity to have something (laughs) on the counter. And so they argued with me for months. uh, They didn't have mold. They don't have mold, blah, blah, blah. So I said, well, here, you you test it, and if it comes back negative, I'll pay for the test. And it came back very high, which would explain the 19,000 types of allergy medication my dad has. Um, So, yeah, and you couldn't smell it or see it in their house. I mean, and my mom keeps the house immaculate. Now they have an air doctor. You know, they have the house remediated. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, you can't be a prophet in your own kingdom. so. Yeah, I have to kind of send them to someone else and I'll just yeah. tell them, okay, here's what I need you to tell. So true. It's just so true. You can't, especially parents. They don't yeah, want to exactly. They still see you as that little kid, pre-pubertal. Mm-hmm. Exactly. It's so true. All right. So we have some, we have one last question. Then we have a lot of questions on how to contact you, which we will put all of that information in the show notes, but I'll let you close it up too. So one last question before I hand the mic over. While we are waiting to afford all of this, and I'm assuming that means just, you know, the the remediation, the testing, all that, we are running lots of filters. Should we start the health test such as oat while we are in it, I guess, in the house with the mold or wait until it is cleaned up? Okay, that's it. I see what she's saying. So do we do we test now? We're still waiting to to do the remediation in the house to fix everything? Or do you just wait until the house is done give it some time, then test your body. So what I would do is I wouldn't do the oats test right now, but I would go ahead and start uh, attempting to detox my body. You know, it's not going to be totally successful, but I would use uh, binders in combination with an air doctor. Um, And, you know, then after you've done that for a couple of months, you can do an oats test. 
but uh, you don't have to be to have the house completely remediated in order to do that. Okay. Nice answer. If that makes sense. Total, total sense. So what kind of binders do you like? I like the simple ones. I don't like getting into like the TCD and, you know, like the really like intense, big, you know, multi um, ingredient, you're taking 50,000 ingredients in one packet kind of protocols. What do you tend to like? I like the uh, uh, micro formulas or cell core sciences, bioactive carbon biotox. Mm -hmm. um, and it binds histamine, aldehydes, mycotoxins, and a few other things. But you have to be careful with just using things like activated charcoal because it'll bind the mycotoxins, but not tightly. And then they get re-released mm -hmm. and that can create, you know, sort of like a relapse type thing. I've heard of Cellcor. I have to look into them more. A patient told me about them and she said she responded. This is, so Cellcor is the uh, provider brand, but if patients are buying it on their own, micro formulas would be it's the same thing. They usually have slightly different names of the products. Okay. Do you have a link? Do you have like an affiliate link we can put in? I don't have an affiliate link. I can get one. Well, yeah. Why don't you get one? We'll put it in the podcast show, show notes. All right. There you go. And get there one from the air doctor too. There we go. There you go. So what are your final thoughts, final words to the listeners? And then tell them how they can find you. Because we got some people on here that they want to hook up. Final thoughts. I would say it's usually are almost always very difficult to heal in the same environment in which you became unwell. And so your environment is huge from EMF exposure to light, artificial blue light versus blue light from the sun. You know, your environment determines a lot, not just the people you're around, but uh, the type of mattress you sleep on, the type of chemicals, whether you have carpet, hardwood floors, you know, whether there was water damage. So your environment determines a lot of how well supplements will or won't work. Mm -hmm. Very well said, especially, yeah, your, your entire environment, the people, yeah. like the mattress, the air, all that. Yeah. Okay. And so people can find me at healyourbody.org or mm -hmm. .org. Um, they can message me through that site. And if they put in the subject line, Dr. Amy, one zero, uh, I'm offering uh, your listeners 10% off on an initial consult with me. Woo. Well, thank you for that. That's very kind of you. Definitely. Yeah. And we will definitely have you back on because there's a crap ton that we didn't even get to cover. So Yeah. And we, we got to get the Ravens flag like right back there. No. Baltimore Ravens. Black and yellow, black and yellow, black and yellow. Purple and black. <laughs> Purple and black. Go Steelers. The Ravens. <laughs> Woo. All right, Tim. Thank you so much for coming on. And for everybody that's like, no, don't go yet. We will have you back on, I promise, and very, very soon. Because this awesome. was one of the most fun uh, guests that I have had. Short of El Russ. She's pretty damn funny. But yeah. we, we love you too. So we appreciate your time. Well, yeah, I just had to break the ice today. Next time you'll get to peel away another layer. It's it, The gloves are off next time. Just look out. Forget about exactly. it. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. That right hook is coming. I'm looking forward to it. <laughs> All right, Tim. Thank you so much for coming on. Thanks, Amy. All right. Take care. Bye. See ya. <laughs>